This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends... Here's Lisa, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, friends. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me once again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest. Very excited to be showcasing this guest today. My guest is a beautiful woman by the name of Luba Rashev. So what can I tell you about Luba? Well, Luba was born in Toronto, Ontario to immigrant parents, a Greek mother and a Bulgarian father. From an early age, Luba understood that she had a gift for writing and languages. She was also attracted to theology. Following her undergraduate work at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where she earned an A.B. in French with highest distinction, Luba decided to study theology at the Harvard Divinity School, where she earned her M.D. for. Upon completion of her studies, Luba got married for all the wrong reasons and lived through an abusive marriage. A combination of undernourishment and psychological domination meant Luba eventually became sick and came very close to death. Divine intervention and family support saved Luba, and she divorced. Luba's recovery took place over a 10-year period in Bulgaria, where her parents had retired. It is in a village close to the Rila mountain range that Luba wrote fiction in order to heal from her ordeal. The pristine beauty and complete serenity of this spiritual locale propelled Luba forward into inner peace, the ability to create abundantly, and a connection with her guardian angel. It is in Bulgaria that Luba found herself. 101 Gold Nuggets of Advice and its companion, 101 Gold Nuggets of Advice 2, were birthed in 2014. The books were given to Luba by her guardian angel. The Nuggets of Advice related in these two books were not born overnight. They were forged from the fiery furnace of abuse, a 10-year period of introspective prayer, and the gentle touch of an angel. Today, Luba lives and works as a chaplain in a retirement community in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Luba is an active contributor to Ariana Huffington's site, Thrive Global. Welcome to the show, Luba. How are you, my friend? Lisa, I'm so honored and grateful to be on your show. Thank you so much. Well, that works both ways, and this is something that's been in the works for quite some time, and the day's finally arrived, and I know this is going to be a phenomenal uh, interview because what we're going to be talking about is something that affects and a lot of people are afflicted by, and I myself in my previous vocation, 25 years of social services, the last held position I had was director of women's shelters, women and children fleeing domestic violence, and certainly being up close and personal with people who are at their rawest and most vulnerable, uh, you learn a few things along the way, regardless of your own backstory that may be relatable. So let's talk a little bit, and I want to also give you an opportunity to talk about your parents, because I know they've played a pivotal role your recovery and I know that there's a lot of uh, synergistic overlap between who you are who you've become and how that ties back to your parents specifically so I want to give you the opportunity to showcase them too but let's talk about the abuse let's talk about um, 
Let's talk about actually dispelling some of the myths because we know, and I, I've worked with within the shelter movement, people who are abused, people think it's people who are uneducated, uh, people who don't necessarily have good role modeling, uh, people who are somewhat ignorant, for lack of a better word. Uh, but there was a lot of intelligent People, a lot of educated people like yourself, Luba, still find themselves in the crossfires of this. So let's talk a little bit about how this came to be for you. How did you meet this man? And was it an overnight thing? Was it? Did you see red flags, but you wanted to give the relationship the benefit of the doubt, and so you proceeded forward? Let's talk yeah. about that. Very good, good opening, Lisa, and good questions. I met Michael um, at a junior college in Champaign, Illinois, which is my hometown, and that was after I finished my studies at Harvard. He was an instructor of psychology, and I was an instructor of death and dying. And so we started dating, and I thought, okay, I'm dating someone who's an instructor. This is this is very nice. And we were we were going out, and he has a very good heart. And I want to start this out by saying positive things about him because you don't end up marrying someone that you don't have some kind of uh, positive idea about. So I think he has a very good heart um, and a lot of qualities. Um, and so what happened is as we were dating, and, and I, w- I was a very weak person at that time, unlike the person that I am today. And so he said to me, Luba, um, if you don't uh, marry me, I'm going to stop dating you. So surely that was a red flag that I should have seen at the time. But because I felt so good to be in this relationship, I agreed and we ended up getting married. Wow. And so mm-hmm. did you did you know much about him in terms of prior history with relationships or had you seen other things within the dating aspect of your relationship where you saw maybe some control issues or uh, insecurity, um, things of that nature where this yeah. just, okay. No, I didn't because, well, he. I, I knew that I was uh, marrying, I was his third wife, actually. He had married twice before me. This should have been an indication, too, which goes back to your point as to how can intelligent people not, you know, but then you want to give the benefit of the doubt to the person, too. And um, so, no, I didn't have any idea that, that this uh, was was uh, an issue. It came out, uh, it would come out in the future of this marriage. Okay. So let's talk about the honeymoon phase. Let's talk about how things slowly started to escalate. And then let's talk about like the crescendo of when you knew you were involved in a full-fledged abusive relationship where there was no wavering on that. It was, There was no question or uh, uncertainty related to that. So... What I noticed when we, uh, after we got married, uh, we moved to Rantoul, Illinois, which is where his um, place was, and he wanted to take me away from my parents because I had a close relationship to my parents. So his main goal was to kind of get me away from, from them, and he stopped uh, working at the junior college, and uh I stopped working as well because of him, and uh, I was working in a call center in, in Rantoul. It was uh, Ameritech Cellular and Paging, a big company which no longer exists, but uh, I was earning all the money, and uh, he was not working, and one day I was at home, and I looked in the medicine cabinet in the washroom, and I saw these little pill boxes, and he had taken a black marker, and he had marked out the names on those on those. Um, you know, pill bottles. So I I understood that there was a problem that he was taking medication for something, but I was in denial, Lisa. I didn't I didn't I, I wanted this marriage to work. I didn't want this to to fail. So that was the really the first sign that there was something wrong in the marriage. Okay. And so, I mean, we understand hindsight 2020. It's, you know, we're in, we're in the throes of something. We don't necessarily understand what the underlying message is or what the lesson is we're supposed to uh, receive in order to, as Maya Angelou has said and Oprah then uh, mimicked as well, when we know better, we do better. So knowing how systemic abuse is, knowing that there's uh, many forms of abuse within the spectrum, and knowing that a lot of people within the listening audience and eventually the podcast subscribers too, Luba, you know, what would you say based on your experience that you would caution people or enlighten or educate them about telltale signs, call it intuition, call it paying attention to things you want to dismiss for the sake of giving people the benefit of the doubt, or 
as we do, we take it on ourselves. Maybe we're being neurotic. Maybe it's us that's being insecure. Uh, maybe, you know, based on our own previous experience or triggers, we're contaminating the relationship and not giving it a, a good opportunity in which to flourish because we're bringing our own baggage into it. And so sometimes we lose sight of what's neutral, what's objective, and what, in fact, are true telltale signs that are glaringly in front of our face. So what would you say to the listening audience so as if whether they're in an abusive relationship but they're still in some level of denial or somebody who's embarking upon a new relationship and there's things that are just not resonating 100% to substantiate it being a healthy relationship in which to proceed? Yeah, I mean, great question. I would say heed the signs if you can. Denial is extremely powerful, though. Denial is something that just prevents us from understanding what is right before our face. Uh, and so I think that the best way to continue answering your question is to continue giving more details of what happened in the marriage and how it progressively became more and more controlling. Um, we ended up moving to, to Greece, and uh, we went to uh, my uh, family home in, in Greece. As you know from my bi biography, on my mother's side of the family, uh, we're from Greece. And mm -hmm. so there's a family home on, on an island there. And I thought, well, if he doesn't want to be me to be close to my parents, why don't I go to a place which is kind of familiar, where there are uh, friends around, relatives who are not too, too far away. So we went there. And what he did was that he would progressively um, diminish the amount of food that I that I was allowed to eat, and he would continually criticize me and say, "Your thighs are are fat. You know, you have to watch what you eat." And uh, I, I, I was so hungry at one point that I was chewing on ice and eating salt. This is how hungry I, I, I was. And uh, he, again, he was not working while, while we were in Greece. I would be driving a little moped and going around the island giving private lessons in French and English. I would be paid cash. I would come home. He would hold out his hand and I would put the money in his hand. This is how dominated I was. He would tell me what the length of my hair should be, what I should wear, what I should eat. I, I, when I look at it in retrospect, I think, how could I have allowed myself to get into this position? So I do want the listeners to know, if you feel that you're losing touch with your family, if you feel that um, you know, you're no longer yourself, if you can't do the things that you normally do, these are huge red flags and you need to get out. You need to get out. Absolutely. And when you start to see those signs emerge and that type of behavior where, you know, you are forced into an isolating type situation, you are removed from the people who are your staunch supporters, your loved ones. Uh, when monies becomes an issue and you've got to turn over your independence and, you know, I mean, there's a whole myriad of examples to illustrate exactly what it is that happened for you in your situation specifically, Luba. Uh, but that's really important too. When, when people are starting to isolate you and I mean we know abuse it happens men are abused by women women are abused by men uh, you know however it's really important before it gets out of control to start taking back your power because this is about disempowerment it is about control power over and you do start to lose the autonomy you lose your own voice you lose your own opinion you can't think for yourself you're encouraged not to think for yourself and then you become the shadow of your abuser and you start to diminish 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 to the point of non-existence this is what happens yeah so um so when when did you start to ask either for help or somebody intervened on your behalf because they knew you were too weak perhaps in which to have the inner strength to fight that fight when did it start to turn the corner where you got out from underneath that so what happened is one one evening I was uh, just I guess I had I, I was still in denial all this time um, and uh, I just felt something was wrong. I felt something was wrong and I said to him, Michael, I think I want to divorce you. This was in, in Cephalonia in the house, you know. I remember where I was, where, where I was standing when I said that to him. And uh, the next morning, Lisa, when I woke up, um, I was bleeding from the vagina and uh, it wasn't my period. I, I was clearly very, very sick and uh, Michael didn't want to call the doctor because he didn't want to pay 20 euros to call the doctor, to have the doctor 
future come. And right at that moment, as that conversation was going on, there was a knock downstairs on the front door of the house, and it was a family friend who had come. So he went downstairs, and he opened the door, and uh, apparently I found out later he didn't want to let her in, but she's kind of short and stocky. And what she did is she just kind of pushed her way through. She pushed her way past Michael, and she came upstairs, and she saw me. And when she understood, she said, I'll pay for the doctor, she said. So the doctor came, and he examined me, and he said to me, you must go to the hospital right now. Right now, there's no time. You have to go. And so there wasn't enough um, room in the house for the stretcher to get upstairs. So I actually had to walk down the, the staircase to get to the ambulance. They put me in the ambulance. And they took me to um, the hospital, which was in Argostoli, the capital city of Cephalonia, where all this was happening. And I remember being on a table, and I was looking at, there were, there were kind of these mirrors above me, you know, uh, and bright lights. And there was the anesthesiologist next to me. And uh, she said, we, we're going to have to, to operate on you. And she put the, the needle in me, and you know how they, they and then I, I kind of lost consciousness at that point. And I was operated. And uh, what happened was, uh, there was, I had a, what's called a generalized infection. It means that my body was full of pus. I was four hours away from death. Wow. Um, mm -hmm, there was so much pus in my body that if it had reached my lungs, I would have drowned in my own pus and died. And so I was operated. They, they removed the pus from my body. Um, and uh, I was in a hospital room in, in, on, in that hospital. And uh, I, uh, they were bringing hospital food, you know, for mm -hmm. me to eat. Michael was next to me, and he would eat my food. He was in the hospital eating my hospital food. Um, so I really, it was awful. I, I had no chance, really, at that point. Um, but... Something did happen um, in the on the left hand side of my body. Um, there was still some pus left, and uh, they were not able to remove it um, in Argostoli. It had to be uh, happening in a, in a more sophisticated uh, setting. So what happened was they said to me, "We have to we have to take you by helicopter, and we have to take you to Athens." And uh, and then uh, there, they said to Michael that there was no room for him on the on the helicopter. So I remember I was on the tarmac uh, at the airport in uh, Cephalonia, Cephalonia, and uh, I was looking up and I saw the EMT there and she had a, a kind of a beautiful face and, and smiling and I said, oh, you know, thank God someone's here, you know, so they, 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 I think she held my hand on the ride from from the um, from the airport to to Athens and I got there and if what what happened was they um, I was I was I was when I was admitted I remember that they actually took out of my body seven syringes of pus from the left side of my body and I said to the nurse I speak Greek you know and I said to her um, did you just take seven syringes of pus out of my body? And she looked at me like, <laughs> this is a question you're not supposed to ask. You know, I was not supposed to see what was going on, but I saw what was going on. And so, Lisa, after that, it was a very slow recovery. Uh, and bit by bit, I, 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 I learned to walk again. In my worst moments, I believe that there were angels next to me. I, I remember sensing them. It, it was the worst moments. And during those moments, I felt no pain at all. I felt no pain. After that, when I started recovering, they, they gave me morphine. I was on morphine. And I was taking the morphine. And I felt okay. You know, I didn't feel pain or maybe very little pain at that point. And then I was re-educated to walk and to, um, and what happened during that, I, I must say this to you too, during that time that I was in the hospital um, in Athens, he actually flew, Michael flew from the island and he started circling the hospital. He wanted to kidnap me. He wanted to take me back. And uh, so one of my aunts, she had uh, a friend of hers, um, 
play the role of the policeman, actually. He stood outside of the the door, the front door of the Artan Hospital. And when Michael showed up, he grabbed him by the collar and he said, you better get out of here and you better get out of here fast. And, uh, you know, I'm a cop, he said. And so he believed him and uh, he left. He, he just disappeared. And uh, that was the last time I ever heard from, from him. So while I was, wow. yeah, mm-hmm just re-educating uh, myself in this hospital to, to walk and be myself, there came a point where the specialist said to me, you know, now I want you to go home. And I said to him, well, uh, and, and I, mu- I must say to you that I was very loving at that time. I felt extremely loving. I was just hugging everyone, the nurses, the doctors. This experience made me very loving. I was just, when you come close to, to dying like that, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's almost like all these little things that trouble us every day, the little daily um, troubles and problems that we have, they just seem to fade away. And I, I just had a lot of great love in my heart during during these moments so dr kratsas came and he said luba you know you i want you to to go home and i said how can i go home i have a, i have a hole in my stomach there was there was a hole that hadn't completely healed after the surgery he said that's okay you'll come back you know once a week to the hospital and we'll change the gauze and whatever and so it happened that way um, and uh, I was just living at my Aunt Maria's house and then coming back to the hospital getting checked and um, that was um, that's what what happened a- up to that point Wow and so mm. so you never had seen Michael beyond that everything was just done through the courts or through the lawyers yeah he actually disappeared he escaped from Greece and it took me like four years to get the divorce I have a fantastic lawyer who helped me she was she's fantastic she's my mm-hmm. lawyer in Greece she's a brilliant it just took a lot longer than it normally should have taken because he escaped he just of he course. disappeared mm-hmm well, yeah. a, a few things I'm going to say simultaneously. One, I want to applaud you on your bravery. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of what does living fearlessly mean, and I know it's a very individual statement uh, or interpretation for every which person who I interview, but for the story of what you've lived through, for what you've just bravely and very vulnerably have shared with us, and I know you're well into the he- uh, healing journey, and I know that you're a brilliant enough woman who understands that by sharing your story, you're helping other people to understand their own story um, and take the necessary action to eradicate whatever it is that's causing them to feel immobilized by fear or to make definitive decisions that are more intuitively helpful, supportive, uh, and well-rounded for the betterment of where it is they need to go in terms of being a contributing human being to society and feeling fulfilled and healthy and whole within. So I want to say that. I also want to say, uh, you know, in terms of near-death experience and for what you described, and I know that too is a very unique experience, I as well had a near-death experience and so a lot of what you had described there very much resonated with me and although it didn't make me feel more increasingly loving it was a it was a crystallized moment where things just really became more vibrant my senses became more vibrant uh, my astuteness towards my surroundings really paying attention to my intuition really honoring my intuition not neglecting anything that intuitively was trying to communicate what was in my best interest ultimately um, and it made me, it exemplified my, my already existing, pre-existing gratitude. It took it to a wholly, a whole different level. Um, so for, I, I relate to that. You and I share similarities with that, Lupa. So I, I want to say good for you. Um, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being an instrument of change. And I want to ask you, when you cite the guardian angel, is that the woman, your friend, who brushed past Michael at the door and made her way up knowing that four year or four hours, had she not shown up on the scene, you would have been dead? Uh, okay, so um, this was a family friend, uh, um, a person, a woman, a flesh and blood woman. So mm-hmm. when I use the phrase guardian angel, um, although we could say that at that particular moment, she was definitely acting in the form of a guardian, yeah. someone who just came at the right time, at the right moment, mm-hmm. um, 
pushed open the door, pushed past him, um, which makes me think actually that it really wasn't my time to go. You know, there was there was something more prescribed for me in my life. Um, I think that if God had wanted to take me, I would have been dead, you know, at Eritrean Hospital. But no, it didn't happen that way. So when I speak about my guardian angel, this is actually an angel that I'm talking about, a real mm-hmm. live angel. Um, and, and I'm going to talk now, move into the next phase of my life. I, I stayed in Athens at my I'm just continuing with the story here, mindful mindful of the time, looking at my clock here. Um, I I stayed in Athens about a year, I I would say, with my Aunt Maria and my cousin George, and they were very lovely to me and opened their um, apartment to me. And um, I I started writing there. I started writing uh, fiction, and it was quite violent, what I was writing. And that was the beginning of the healing process to to get over what had happened to me with Michael and and I'm not recounting the whole story that happened with Michael there's a lot more I of just course. told you the ma- the main uh, elements uh, you know highlights um that 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 he did that were horrific there's there are more horrific things that happened to me but that's for another time or perhaps even for a book I don't know um but I lived with my aunt Maria after that my parents decided to retire to to Bulgaria and um, I, I moved in with them. I moved in with them, and I continued my healing process. And the house is located in a in a village uh, at the foot of the the Rila Mountains. It's it's sort of in south central Bulgaria. Um, that's where the house is, and. Um, it's a very beautiful location, and Bulgaria is an undiscovered country in many ways. It's naturally fantastic. I, I mean, in, in, in terms of mineral water, um, spa therapy, uh, nature, uh, I was just in this kind of heavenly place, Lisa, mm-hmm. where I, 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 what happened was that my mind, I, I, I began to understand using my mind that there's another way to communicate with people other than just with words. In fact, yes. words Words are rather a brutal form of communication, uh, even though I'm very grateful that we're able to talk and that people are hearing us. Words are, are, are actually very powerful and to be used for creative purposes only, um, you know. Um, but there's a higher, more elevated form of communication, which some people call it telepathy, but I don't like to use the word telepathy. I prefer to say mind-to-mind communication because it is more than just emitting a thought to someone and then someone receiving your thought, I kind mm-hmm. of find that pretty cold. To me, that's kind of cold. Mind-to-mind is something deeper, you know. So what happened was my parents and I, we we were, we were the, the, the thing that we were doing was managing some apartments in, in Sofia. So I was just traveling back and forth between the village and Sofia. Sofia is the capital city of Bulgaria. And so what we did was we went on a, on a, on a week, holiday or something and we rented we rented this enormous uh, apartment um, in a in a in another beautiful place called Reduil, Bulgaria and um, I was I had my own quarters and uh, one evening when I was there this was in 2008 pardon me as I sip some tea here mm-hmm. um, it was for my throat uh, it was 2008 and what happened was I um, I had a kind of I had a vision, and uh, all of a sudden, I wasn't even thinking of it. And you're going to tell me, but you studied theology. Wouldn't you know about angels? And the truth is, you study theology. You know that angels are out there. But for me, it was just this theoretical kind of thing. It had no, it had, it hadn't come close to home. It hadn't done anything of that nature. It hadn't hit. And all of a sudden, here I am, and I have this vision where I actually do see my guardian angel and communicate with them. Um, and uh, I'd rather not describe what they look like because it's very personal. It was just a, of such course. a, sorry, but it's just a very, very personal moment that I had with my guardian. And I had this communication that began. That's how it happened. It started in 2008 in Ah, And so then after that, we returned home to the village and, and I, I was still writing fiction, you know, writing, writing. Um, but my, my, my writing changed. My writing changed because... 
what happened was uh, I discovered my my passion, and it was uh, I started writing uh, books um, under a pen name that that are spiritual books, you know, and so mm-hmm. all these books started just flowing out of me, and I was just very intrigued and and thinking about my angel, and so I mention all of this because the gold nuggets of advice, one hundred and one gold nuggets of advice. One and, and 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 two, which came to me in in Toronto, they were actually given to me by my guardian angel, um, and uh, that that came that came later. But Bulgaria was a great part of the healing process. It was the place where I was able to relax recuperate, understand that I don't have to be driven in the way that I was driven in my my marriage to Michael, just acting, acting, acting all the time, mm-hmm. um, performing nonstop, doing and, and, and losing my, myself. Um, in order to succeed in this world, I believe that the, 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 the most important thing that we need to do is to tap in into ourselves. Now, this is both an external and an internal process. It's not something that happens one way or another. It's it's mm-hmm. internal and external. And I know that Arianna Huffington says it starts on the inside, moves on the outside. I totally agree with this. I'm 100% in, in agreement with her about that. So, um, uh, I, d- I don't know. I think that 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 now the the phase where I am at in uh, in in Toronto is a very kind of a happy, quiet, relaxed phase. Um, in 2014, you know, uh, I I, get, I got these books and I was just lying on my bed, and that's the way that I wrote all, all my other books too. By the way, the the ones that I write under a pen name, mm-hmm. I have a total of 17 books in all, including the Gold Nuggets. So what what I did, what I would do is just lie down on my bed and I. Have a little pad next to me, and then I commune with my guardian angel, a real angel, and the angel just tells me what what you write, and then I I write, and that's how I I write, and that's how I write my spiritual books. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful, and I think the other thing that's also equally important to to mention, especially for the listening audience here, Luba, and I mean because you've lived it, I've lived it, we can both equally attest to it, mm-hmm. is you know oftentimes the most difficult, adverse circumstances, the things that turn our lives upside down, turn everything that we know of in question or thought we knew about reality inside out, and so whether you're talking about actual near death experience in the literal sense or you're talking about um, reinventing yourself on a different level call it business call it life call it what however that inner awareness and and peeling back the layers to really get true with knowing who you are and embracing that knowingness of who you are Um, you know there is a rebirth process and for everything that you've described even in terms of, of being cognizant since your encounter with your guardian angel, what your subject matter and the darkness surrounding what you initially were writing and how that transcended into a different flair of writing and it being more light and it being more bright uh, and being more spiritually based and uplifting. Um, You know, I think that's important that people realize that. And there's no age stipulation around that. I mean, we never know unforeseen circumstances that are going to touch our lives, that are going to catapult us into a different realm of reality, a different way of thinking, a different way of understanding or interpreting our existence and our relationship to everything surrounding us in in tangible form, intangible form, guardian angels, you know, pre-life experiences, past life experiences. Um, So I I think that's really important for the audience to be cognizant of because people, uh, for whatever the reason or the circumstance, I think anything that offers the opportunity for rebirth upon the ending of a chapter, and there's really no ending because it's a continuation of beginnings. It really is. Um, So I, I really appreciate the way that you've laid out everything chronologically and the way you've illustrated and cited your own examples to make this a really crystal clear um, understanding and insight to your reality and to what you've gone through. I think you're immensely brave. Um, I, I really appreciate 
what you're sharing here with the listening audience because this is this is undeniably going to save lives it's going to change the way people behave it's going to change the way people decide upon what to do going forward if they feel that they're entrenched in a form of crisis or uh, necessary decision making particularly if there's children involved uh, et cetera et cetera so I want to give you also the opportunity, Luba, because I know how instrumental and profound your parents are um, and what they've been for you throughout your healing journey. So what would you like us to know about your parents that also offers insight into who you are and, and how you navigated some of your past? Uh, before we go into my parents, um, mm. I'm wondering if I could just say a few more words about my guardian angel. Please do. I just communicated with my angel asking them if it's okay to say this and uh, and they said yes it's okay to say this uh, my guardian angel before they became an angel they lived a life on earth and when they lived their life on earth um, their parents um, and my guardian was a female at that point um, a woman on earth living on earth the um, her parents um, um, uh, well, sold her into um, uh, child sexual, um, you know, uh, slavery. So my angel um, was forced to do things, um, and it, it started with her dad, who, um, you know, who who had sex with her. That was the beginning of how it happened. And then um, what what would happen is that men would come into her, her room, her parents would allow these men to come into her room and um, she would hand over the money, you know, to her parents. And so her parents actually used her um, to make money. And uh, she actually, during this experience, she honored her parents throughout and she was delivered from this uh, this um, horrible, absolutely horrible life at the age of 18 when she died in a car crash. Her car crashed uh, into a tree. This, this happened in Australia somewhere. I'm not really sure where, but um, it happened in Australia and her car crashed into a tree and she died and I think she was about 18 when that happened. So this individual became an angel and she became my guardian angel. And when I was growing up in Champaign, I will say this, Lisa, I was in the back of my parents' car, and I must have been 13, maybe 12 or 11, I don't remember exactly, but I remember feeling like a rage against pedophiles, like just inside of myself, I felt just this sheer rage, you know, mm -hmm. and I did, cause when I learned about it, and I didn't know why I felt that, because I was never abused by my parents, I had really nice parents, um, my mom's still alive. Um, I live with her in Toronto. She's 81. She's an amazing person. My dad passed away last year. He was an amazing man who did great things. And I'm just wondering, like you were talking earlier about, you're, you're just talking about these past lives and these relationships and connections and things. And I'm just wondering if I, on some level, knew this somehow or that it was, and I cannot explain, this This part is not, it's impossible for me to explain chronologically. I can't explain it. You know, it's just mm -hmm. too difficult. It's, it's, I don't know. That's the bottom line. I don't know. So I just wanted to share this with you, that this is, is my angel who was assigned to me. This is my guardian angel. This is their story. Well, and I don't think there's any coincidence to that. And as I cited with something else we were talking about, but it, it speaks to this, uh, it's, it is the hindsight connect the dots because, you know, there's no doubt uh, that that having that anger having surged up in you about that particular subject matter, uh, whether you could explain it, understand it, because it hadn't personally impacted you directly. Mm -hmm. uh, now you can make sense of it looking back. And now as a result of what you now know about your guardian angel, it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. you know? So so where things initially may lay dormant, and but we don't understand until later when it starts to become yeah, Fu fully aware within us what mm -hmm. that level of insight is related to, what it pertains to, then we can make sense of that. There's no, there's no coincidence to that. I, I, I you know, I and I got goosebumps. I've, I'm getting a lot of goosebumps throughout <sighs> mm -hmm. this whole interview. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Yeah, and Lisa, you know, the insights, they come progressively and they come kind of um, increasingly over time. And mm-hmm. sometimes we don't, we don't, we're not meant to understand until we die. But one of the books that I wrote um, under a pen name was My Guardian Angel Story. I can't give you the name of the book now because I'm not prepared at this point point Mm -hmm. in in this interview to say it but I did write the book so there is a book that explains and in the book um, uh, my guardian when she dies after she dies she goes to to heaven and she asks questions like well why did this happen you know so what happened was there was just like this uh, meeting of angels so all these angels got together all the guardian angels of all the men who had abused her and so she was starting to hear their stories but get this they each had a choice at every point whether they were going to abuse her or not and and did, did, and I like I love this when you say this in your book you always say in these little download sections you know it's a choice. We have a choice about whether yeah. we do thing we do the, the the thing or not, whether we evolve or whether we go backwards. Mm-hmm. And so she heard all of these things and in the book and and I know nothing about this. I tell you that I was not violated in any way other than Michael, you know, uh, my abusive marriage, but I had wonderful parents. I, I and, and so I just she 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 the book in the book it it explains how they would tell her while she was alive all their sob stories to excuse themselves for why they were having sex with her, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh and it, it and, and 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 it it just goes it there's more too to the book, you know? Mhm. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And so where people, where can people connect with you, Luba? Where can people find your content? Uh, What's up and coming on the horizon for you? What's the next project, the next book? Um, Okay, so what I would like to say is, I, I think, and I don't know how you feel about this, and we can talk about this you know, later after the mm-hmm. interview. Um, but I would like to have maybe in the future another interview with you where we can talk about my pseudonymous works and we can talk about those books because I think that those books are very, very powerful and very important. For today, I thought it was important for people to hear my story, to yes. hear how God helped me survive this horrific kind of um um, marriage where I almost died, but that that through people intervening and also, you know, divine intervention, I believe I I was saved from that. And so um, the gold nuggets that these are little ad- advice books that my guardian gave to me. They're precious little nuggets that my guardian gave to me. And mm-hmm. uh, the book is on promotion today, so there's no cost up until the fourth. Of, of February, so everybody who's listening, get up, get get on Amazon, and just um, in in my, excuse me, in my bio there are some links there for the books. You just click there. You don't have to pay a penny uh, until the fourth of February. Get the book, download it, and 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 read it. Um, I m- this is not my claim to fame. I wish I could tell you I wrote this book. I didn't write the book. <laughs> the book was given to me by my angel. This is mm-hmm. These are the words of an angel. I published the book myself independently on CreateSpace and Amazon. CreateSpace doesn't exist anymore. It's now just Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing. So I published it myself. Um, and if some editor tells me I want you to change one thing, I will say no, because this book was given by an angel. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. And so being cognizant of time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, I also, as I mentioned, and I know you wanted to kind of delve into a little bit of backstory as it relates to your parents. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to take what's remaining of the interview into that direction, uh-huh. then hopefully there's enough time where we can have like a, a last minute parting words that you would want to uh, express to the listening audience. Sure. So, okay. Sure. Okay. So, um, my father is originally from from Bulgaria, and uh, in his on on his side of the family, there are a lot of priests uh, mm-hmm. that emerge in the Bulgarian Orthodox Church. Cinematographers. My my grandfather was a photographer. He was also involved in cinema. My great grandfather also was involved in photography. Um, very important in uh, in. Um, in, in Bulgaria and in the, the history of, of Bulgarian cinema, if people are interested on my LinkedIn, I wrote an article about this called 
Renaissance people. It's my latest article on there, and uh, I, I, it's a tribute to my to my dad. Uh, I, I love my dad very much. I, I miss him greatly. He's in in an, in a better place right now. He's in 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 what I believe is paradise, and uh, and I and, and I, I do believe that 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 communication can happen between the realms. Uh, my mother's side is Greek, as I mentioned. We can trace our our family's um, heritage eight hundred years into the past to Mesopotamia, uh, and three centuries after that to the Byzantine uh, Empire. Um, one of my re relatives, the Theodosi Sigomalas, um, who lived between 1544 and 1607, was an erudite uh, scholar. He was proto-notary of the Great Church under Patriarch Jeremiah II of Constantinople. Um, and more recently, on my mother's side, my great-great-great-uncle, Panais Athanas Valiano, who lived between the years 1814 to 1902, and is considered to be the father of modern Greek uh, shipping, maintained shipping offices in London, Marseille, and what was then known as Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul in Turkey. So... Um, they were very humble, the Valiano brothers, there were five of them, and uh, they uh, um, uh, were actually the founders of Greek shipping. What they would do is what they would get down on their knees, they would pray to God before each and every business move. They wouldn't make a business move without checking first with God. Uh, and what happened in their home on the island of Cephalonia, uh, the ancestral home, which is just across the street where I lived with Michael in the family home, the ancestral uh, home is across the street. That's where they lived. And in, in, in that home, they welcomed a wandering monk and uh, his he would become Saint Cosmas and uh, their mother made a little room for him where he could have a little bed and she gave him food, she nourished him and he said to her, in exchange for this, I will bless you and whatever your five sons touch will turn to gold, he said to her. And in essence, all of their business ventures turn to gold and you may you may have heard about the Onassis family, but you yes. may not ha you may not have heard of my family because in our family, we don't talk a lot, Lisa, and we're pretty humble, but my ancestors, were, ancestors actually came before the Onassis, and they were very great contributors to charity. They founded the National Library in Athens, um, old-aged homes on the island of Cephalonia, an orphanage, etc., etc., the list goes on. So the money really went uh, more, not for the descendants, but for Greece, for the country, and for the people. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, that certainly puts into perspective why you're such a beautiful spirit and why you feel Thank compelled you so to do what you do in the space. And, uh, you know, you're really doing amazing things. And I, I really applaud people who tell their story. And, you know, I, I think there's there's such a need for that. Um, you know, it's not just talking about business. It's not just talking about leadership or talking about mindset, although I think mindset plays a part in everything mm -hmm. in terms of focus and discipline and inner clarity. Uh, but I think, you know, this is how we learn from people. This is how we extrapolate other people's uh, imparted wisdom, insights, tools, ways in which we can navigate our own journey out of the abyss and get ourselves on the trajectory of where it is we say we feel we are intended or purpose-driven to be. Uh, so you being very clear on your journey and, you know, the guardian angel aspect of that and your parents very much playing a part in that and that being central to who you are uh you're a very interesting person you're a very interesting soul spirit human being and this is a very unique show um but it's a beautiful show it's an important show uh we're crossing a lot of subject matters that i think are very important um, and for the ways in which you have been vulnerable, once again, I want to reemphasize that because people think vulnerability is a weakness. It, in fact, is not, my friends. It is a strength. When people see that you can openly talk about what we know we all feel in terms of the spectrum of emotions, some people choose not to air that. Some people are a little bit more private and withdrawn and concealed mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. but, it, it, but it's important because this is how we learn from each other and this is how we know it's okay, but that by speaking out, 
This is how we create and shift change within our own lives. This is how we role model that it is possible and for other people to feel safe and to take the risk and to live fearlessly and do so themselves, knowing it's going to propel them into a healthier, better space. Absolutely. Thank you so much for saying that. I also, I feel synergy with you, Lisa. I feel like a tingling in my body. During I, this, just got, uh, I got a tingle throughout, throughout this I got this little tingles. <laughs> and, and I feel, um, I feel, I just pray. I, I said, I think I said this to you in a LinkedIn post or something that whoever is listening to this, if you're in an abusive relationship, if you're feeling dragged down, if you don't feel yourself, don't wait for divine intervention. Yes, divine intervention will happen. God will help you, but help yourself first. Get out yes. now. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And I also want to say you're always welcome to come back on the show. I know you expressed that you'd like to talk about different things in a different time. Uh, I, it would be an honor and a, a privilege. And I know that this is going to be an interview that's going to resonate with a lot of the listening audience. I think there's going to be quite a bit of feedback. And I think there's going to be a lot of downloads with this one specifically. So for who you are, for what you bring to the space, um, and for how invaluable this information sharing is, I, I, you're always welcome to come back, Luba. You know that. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you very much. And uh, when it's time for me to say my last words, let me know because I have something to say. Okay. Well, you can say that now. We can circle back with other things too, but I don't, I don't want time to get away without you having that opportunity to definitely get that in there. I just want to bless you. I want uh, you to, to, that God bless you. May God bless you. May God bless your beautiful children. Uh, may you have success and may your success um, multi- multiply a hundredfold and, and, and a thousandfold. May you never have to worry about money. May all of your dreams come true. Um, and may you um, assist people, including myself, to find in life what they are really meant to do, what they are really meant to be, how they are meant to help people the most and in the most effective way. Because I think that uh, I recently was blocked in my life from, from doing an activity, be- becoming a minister, actually a minister of religion. That, that door was closed for me. And my belief is today that this door was closed. There was a roadblock because God wanted my voice to be heard by many more people than 250 uh, church congregants. And, and so I accept that graciously. And, and I say, Lord, use me and bless Lisa McDonald. Oh, thank you so much, Luba. I'm deeply mm-hmm. touched by that. I'm deeply, deeply touched by that. And, uh, you know, knowing that we have to wrap up here, I mm-hmm. want to give you another opportunity. Luba, where can people reach out to you? If people are really enamored by your story, but they want to talk privately with you for whatever reason, mm-hmm. how, can they, how can they interface with you? How can they connect mm-hmm. with you? Sure. So I have an email address, which is Luba at LubaRashefConsultancy.com. So my first name, Luba, at... Luba Rasha, first and last name, consultancy.com. This is my business email. Um, and if anybody out there is listening who happens to be the owner of a textile factory in Canada, reach out to us because we represent a little factory called Yana Limited in Bulgaria. And, uh, and we also represent Ecola Oils, which uh, makes beautiful rosehip oil. Uh, they produce about two tons, a, two tons a year, so we can't give guaranteed great quantities, but we do this as well, me and my business partner. Fantastic. Well, Luba, I want to thank you once again for the gift of your time and your shared insights and wisdoms. Again, you're always welcome back on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. To the listening audience, I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules for joining myself and Luba today. Uh, my purpose, which I'm very clear on, is to uplift you to fear less and to live more, and I look forward to doing that again next week with another amazing guest. In the meantime, I wish you all my very best. Love and gratitude. Stay safe. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless 
and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.